Well, happy Easter, everyone, joining us online. And I know this is not the Easter we all anticipated. And maybe today it doesn't necessarily feel like Easter to you, but let me encourage you in, the, in that on that first Easter, it didn't really feel like Easter, so to speak. That on that third day, it was Jesus who appeared to those disciples while they were in their room on their own form of lockdown. And so, but Jesus appeared to them. And because the spirit of Jesus is never bound to just one place or one, at one time, the resurrected Christ can appear to us wherever we are today. And that is our hope. That is the, the good news that we celebrate. And today, we get to celebrate it. We also get to, get to embody it and live it out. And remember that no matter how you feel today, no matter how, what sort of state you are in, Jesus comes, and when he appears, he comes to, us, comes to us with that same message. Peace be with you. Fear not. Do not be afraid. But if it's all right with you, I'd like to preach a little bit this morning. Now, if you know me, uh, you know my, my personality, my spiritual gifts. I am somebody who tends to gravitate when I share God's word, to, to gravitate towards more the teaching rather than the preaching of God's word. But there's something about the Easter story that I believe has to be preached. And by preached, I mean proclaimed, announced, shouted from the rooftops. Because it, when it comes to how a simple carpenter who grew up to be a prophet who performed many miracles was rejected by his own, given over to the Romans to be crucified on a cross, buried for three days in a tomb which was sealed by a stone, guarded by imperial soldiers, descended to the dead, yet somehow on Sunday rose from the dead, appearing first to Mary, then to a group of scared disciples who just days earlier ran away from him and were now hiding in fear for their lives. And suddenly his appearance to them brought a revelation of a new thing that God was now doing in Christ, transforming these scared, cowardly disciples into courageous, faith-filled, loving disciples. When it comes to that story... That is not something you can prove with words of persuasion. Rather, it is a story that must be received with faith. We don't bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with human eyes, but with spiritual eyes. Faith that this story is not just only historically true, that is, on the third day Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but spiritually true, that in Christ Jesus God has raised me from death to life. And the evidence of the resurrection is my story, it's your story. It's our story. Like the angel said to Mary at the tomb, that he is not here, he has risen. And if all the evidence you need, why don't you come and see it for yourself? Christ lives, and he lives in me. And so this Easter, I've titled this message, The Newness of Easter. The Newness of Easter. I want to begin by reading two verses for you, starting in Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Remember not the former things, Isaiah says. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Revelation 21, 5 to 7. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. When Isaiah prophesied 
that God was going to new, do a new thing. It was 700 years before Christ ever rose from the dead. 700 years. It says something about God's timing, doesn't it? God was going to do a new thing, Isaiah prophesied. A new thing with his creation, with his people. And rhetorically, he asks the question, do you perceive it? Can you sense it? Can you tell that God is about to do a new thing? See, when it comes to God, when God is about to do something new, it's not very often that we can properly perceive that God is about to do something new. Sometimes, when God is doing a new thing, it takes us a time or two, or a time or two generations for us to understand what God is doing. Sometimes we are like the two men who were on the road to Emmaus after Christ was crucified. They went home, and as they were going home, they were dejected. They were, they were, they were defeated. They were downtrodden, and Christ appears to them on their journey back home, and he comes alongside them, and he explains to them the new thing that he was doing. Sometimes we struggle to properly perceive God's newness because his new never really looks like our new, does it? When we think new, we think new car, new house, new phone, new lockdown. But our new is rarely ever new. Rather, our new is merely something better than the old. It is more improved, an updated version of what already exists. It's like getting the new iPhone is not really a new iPhone. It's just an updated version of the old iPhone. I remember when 2019 started and we would gather together as a prayer team and, and for some reason Isaiah 43 was the verse that seemed to be popping up over and over again in our time of prayer. And, and it's interesting, when, when, we, when you gather together to prayer, there's certain themes that come forward and you want to listen to those themes. You want to kind of hear what are people praying, what's in their spirit. And the, the, what was in the spirit of the people was just God's going to do a new thing. And we sensed it. We were perceiving it. And we were praying into it together. We were just asking God, God, do a new thing. Like we're excited excited for it. We're ready for it. We anticipated for all of 2019 that God was about to do a new thing and we just couldn't wait for God to do it. And then 2020 happened. So you're welcome. Sorry about that. But did God do, did God do a new thing in 2020? Did God do a new thing in 2020? Absolutely. You better believe God has done a new thing in 2020. Did we perceive what God was going to do? Did we perceive the new thing that God was going to do? No, because our idea of a new thing is never, rarely God's idea of a new thing. I was even listening to one pastor preach a sermon on March 8th, 2020. If you remember, March 8th, 2020 was the last Sunday before lockdown. Yes, things were happening, but it wasn't really ye real yet. If you kind of put yourself back a, a year prior. In fact, you know, Rhonda, you were hosting, and she was like anointing my head with hand sanitizer. It was kind of still this, this distant thing that was just kind of like <laughs> this nervous energy around. But this pastor preached a message March 8th, 2020, titled, Make Room for the New. And get this, you'll love this. He called on the church in this sermon, remember, one week prior to everything happening, to pray to God to increase the quality of their problems. Can you imagine one week before the pandemic calling on the church to consider praying and asking God to increase the quality of your problems? Imagine if you would pray that yourself, you have an idea or two of what you think the increase in quality of your problems looks like. But I guarantee you that your idea of an increase is not God's idea of an increase. 
When God is ready to do a new thing, it's not going to be a better thing, an updated thing, a more improved thing. It's going to be a a new thing, as in nothing you've ever seen before sort of new. Nothing you could ever imagine kind of new. And when that new thing happens, chances are you're probably going to miss it. But if you've ever missed God wanting to do a new thing before, you can take comfort in knowing that pretty much everyone who witnessed the death of Jesus Christ missed out on the new thing that God was doing that Easter morning. See, the disciples, they knew Jesus had come to do something special. They knew there was something about him. They knew that he was not like the others, the other prophets who had come before. This man could perform miracles. In fact, just days earlier, he had, they had seen Jesus raise their friend Lazarus from the dead. They knew he had the power to raise another person from the dead. What they never could have fathomed that Jesus had the power to actually do that himself. And one of the more forgotten aspects of the Gospels is actually how often Jesus told his disciples that he was soon going to die and later be raised from the dead. For example, Luke chapter 9, 22, Jesus says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. I'm sure the disciples looked to each other and said, what is he talking about? And it's not like he just said it once either. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, known as the synoptic, synoptic Gospels, Jesus says it three times. He predicts his death and resurrection three times and in the book of John many times more. Sometimes they were afraid to ask. Other times they just were so confused they didn't even bother. Jesus was promising the impossible, and they had nothing to compare it to, no point of reference, nothing to look back upon and say, oh, that's the new thing that he wants to do. And then on Good Friday, what happens? Well, Jesus is killed. He dies. Their leader is taken from them. And because they don't understand, because they cannot perceive it, they run out of fear and they hide for fear of their own life. Why is it that when God is doing a new thing, we struggle to perceive it? Well, there's a few reasons I want to share. First, there are times we struggle to perceive God's new thing because we want to outwardly reject it. Why is it that we humans always seem to criticize that which we don't understand? Because Jesus' death could not be grasped. It could not be understood. It was just outwardly rejected. As Jesus was being killed, those who witnessed his crucifixion, what did they do? They did not marvel and say, wow, what God is doing is so amazing. No, they criticized and they mocked Jesus. Luke 23, 37 says, says the, the, the crowds would yell at him and shout, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are who you say you are, if it's true you have the power to raise others from the dead, why don't you do it for yourself? That seems like the most logical thing a person can do. What was new in their eyes would be if Jesus, who performed many miracles before, could bring himself down off that cross. Now that would be a new thing in their minds. Yet there's nothing new about saving yourself. Saving yourself is pretty much the oldest trick in every history book that you've ever read. Self-preservation, it's hardwired into our DNA. Yet instead of saving himself, which, let us be reminded, he had every right to do and he had the power to do, instead of saving himself, he died a death we deserved in order to give us the one thing that we could never achieve or earn on our own. That is saving ourselves. The one thing we could never do, regardless how, no, no matter how much innovation, technology, scientific breakthrough we humans are, are, are able to accomplish in this life, the one thing we could never do is the new thing that God did in Jesus Christ that Easter Sunday. 
First, sometimes we outwardly reject the new thing God is doing. Some, second, when God is doing a new thing, there are other times when we try to hide from the new thing that God is wanting to do. I think it's worth mentioning every Easter, and I like to mention this every year, that on Sunday morning, when the women went up to visit the tomb, where were the men? They were all hiding in their room. If you're sitting beside a man in your life, just give him an elbow and say, what were you doing? John 20, 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Why did the disciples run and hide? The same reason we run and hide, because we are afraid. Fear might be the greatest factor that holds us back as followers of Christ from experiencing the newness of resurrection life. Because when God wants to do a new thing, it requires a certain amount of faith on our part, trust to step out into the unknown. In fact, when I think about the disciples who were hiding in the upper room, I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus shared about a time when a master entrusted to his servants different measures of talents. And he went away for a journey. And when he came back, the one who was given the one talent out of fear for his master simply hid his talent in the ground because why? He was afraid of his master. He played it safe because he did not understand who his master was. Not losing anything was better than gaining, risking it all and gaining what the master most wanted him to do. Is it possible that there are moments when God wants to do, do a new thing in you or through you or among you, yet in fear you have buried the new thing that God wants to do. That we hide out of fear because what God is wanting to do in us is something that will stretch us beyond our comfort zone, beyond what seems safe to us. Finally, when we struggle to perceive the new thing God is doing, we reject it, we hide from it, and third, we sometimes straight up doubt it. Because the resurrection... We see it was so entirely brand new. The first response, the first thing the disciples did when Jesus, when they heard the news that Jesus had rose from the dead was just simply unbelief. Luke 24, 11 says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna the, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women, Luke's getting the point across, it was the women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Again, you got to give the women credit. Props to the women in the story of the resurrection. When Jesus died, all hope died with those disciples. They were crushed, defeated. But here, let me say this to you today, this Easter. If the story that God is writing in your life is not yet good, it means that God is not yet done. Let me say that again. In the, if the story that God is writing in your life is not yet good, it means that God is not yet done. You see, if you've been doubting the story God is writing for your life, ask yourself the question, has God yet been glorified in my struggle? Has, the, has victory been won over my sin? If not, God is not done yet. He is still writing your story. So here lies the challenge of perceiving when God is doing a new thing. In the space between the promise and the answer, there lies nothing but silence. I mentioned it on Good Friday, but there's a, there's a reason why there's a day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and we call it Waiting Saturday. Because the truth is, is that in our lives, we spend more time in Saturday than we will on Sunday. Between Friday and Sunday, God was completely and utterly silent. 
in, in the space between Friday and Sunday, he was criticized, he was doubted, he was ran from, he was rejected. If anything, in their minds, what God had done in Jesus Christ was nothing but an utter and epic failure. But God was doing a new thing. Just because they couldn't perceive it didn't mean that God wasn't doing it. No, in fact, God in Christ was making all things new. And perhaps this Easter, you find yourself in a similar place, believing in the promise of Easter, believing in the promise of a new thing, yet struggling to perceive it. Can you hear with me the words that Jesus says to Thomas, who said, I'll only believe if I see proof for myself of the new thing you are doing. And Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not yet seen with their eyes and yet believe in their hearts. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. As the disciples struggle to perceive the newness of Easter, you see, what happened next that Easter Resurrection Sunday changed everything. What's important to understand, just to give you a bit of a context, is that most Jews in that day believed in the resurrection. It's not like the idea of somebody rising from the dead was out of the realm of possibility. In fact, the resurrection of the dead was a common belief in that day. But the resurrection was something that would happen later on. It was life after life after death. That you, when you die, there is this time, there is a space where you wait for the resurrection of those who are already dead. It was life after life after death. One would be rise, would raised from the dead, but it would happen later on. It would happen one day. It would happen someday. But here is Jesus standing before them, not one day, not that day, not, not dead, but alive. And suddenly it clicked into place. God had done a new thing. The new thing that God had done in Jesus was bringing the promise of resurrection, of new life, not one day, not down the road, not later on, but here and now. The fullness of the resurrection was not a promise for tomorrow, but what they realized that in Christ Jesus, the resurrection promise was for today. Jesus had done exactly what he promised he would do, that, uh, that he would die and on the third day rise again. And what they, what they realized, the light bulb that went off in that moment was that on Easter Sunday, Jesus brought with him from the dead to life the fullness of heaven, the fullness from heaven to earth of the newness of God, the newness of creation. Second Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The newness of covenant, meaning we can experience a relationship with God that is not built on our own merit, not built on our simple observance, but built strictly on what God has done. Jesus said, this is the cup in, my new, in the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. He has bring, he's brought on Easter Sunday new birth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The newness of heart and spirit. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. The newness of family. Jesus said, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister. The newness of a common enemy. And let me tell you, it is not e no longer each other. It is not a flesh and blood sort of enemy, but a powers and principality enemy. The newness of boldness, that whenever we preach the gospel, Jesus will give us the words we need to say. He will fill us with the power to do signs and wonders in our midst so that people may see Jesus and glorify our Father in heaven. He will give us the newness of hope as we we await the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3.13. Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. 
all things new. This is the Easter promise we stand in today. Can somebody give me an amen today? Can somebody say amen? This is the promise we stand in today. The promise of new life that began that Easter Sunday and we know will one day be completed when Christ comes again in his glory. And what does that mean for us here today? It means that we who believe in the resurrected Christ, we who live in the middle of that, between what has been launched and will one day be completed, we are called to embody and live out the newness of resurrection right here and right now. What radically transformed those disciples from fear to faith is they realized what had happened in Christ had now happened to them. That his resurrection was now their reality. That they had become the very embodiment of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You see, when Christ was raised from the dead, the newness of Easter meant that they too were raised as well. And in them, they now carried the cosmic newness of God found only in Christ. Their calling from that day forward and forevermore for all who call upon the name of Jesus, for all who know that they are now made sons and daughters in Christ, their calling was to be the ones, the people who have now been raised to embody and live out the newness of God in their everyday lives. That is the story of Easter. That is the newness of God that we stand witness to this Easter. That is we are called not just to believe in the resurrection, we are called to live it out. So how today, as we come to a close, do we perceive the new thing that God is doing in Christ? Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4 tells us, If then you have been raised with Christ, is there anyone here today who's been raised with Christ? Anyone here today at home who has been raised with Christ? Come on. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul tells the Colossians, because Christ has risen from the dead, you too have been raised alongside Christ, which is actually a far more common theme in Paul's writings than we know. Romans 6, 3-4, just to give you another example, another book, another people. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life, in the newness of Easter. To be baptized into Christ. What does that mean? He's not talking about water baptism here. Rather, he's talking about an immersion into our Savior's death and resurrection. In Christ, you have died. You have been buried. But you have also been risen with him. Meaning that while you remain on earth here physically, spiritually, you carry with you a different citizenship found not here on earth but in heaven. That you live in this world as strangers and as exiles because you are in the world, but not you are not of the world. 
To be able to perceive God's new thing, we must not only believe in the risen life, we must seek to live it out every day in our everyday lives. By seeking continuously the things that are above, setting our minds not on things here on earth, but in heaven. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. But to set our minds on what's above is not only to seek heaven, but it's to think heaven. To every day think what heaven thinks. It's about allowing, as it is in heaven, to govern how it is with you here on earth. The things that are above, of course, are kingdom values. They are the things that Jesus values most and what he values most in you. Things like tenderness, kindness, patience, endurance, faith, purity, forgiveness. Finally today, to live out and embody the resurrection, to perceive the newness of God, we must make Christ our everything. As Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, who is your life, appears, we too will appear with him in glory. Christ, who is your life. Could it that be said about you this morning? That Christ is not just the giver of life, but he is your life itself? That in him today, you, you, you move, you live, you have your being. It is Christ. You know, I'll conclude by just sharing this short little story about how when I first moved to Ottawa and I came ahead of, you know, my family for the one month, I remember on the plane praying, bowing my head, just praying, God, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to know in order to, you know, properly pastor uh, this church for this assignment that you have been given that you've been given to me and I remember I'm not someone who hears the Lord speak clearly in sentences often I don't know how God speaks to you but on that day I know that it came loud and clear into my mind I heard the Lord saying Terry if I'm not your everything you will fail because apart from me you can do nothing you can do nothing and since that Day, I've been praying that prayer over and over. God, if you're not my everything, I will fail. If you're not my everything, because apart from you, I can do nothing. But because of the newness of resurrection today, God, Jesus, can be your everything. And he wants to be your everything. Because he gave everything for you. He gave it all for you. And so today, my Easter invitation, whether it's your very first time or whether it's been time after time after time, just to once again renew the commitment that you will make Christ your everything so that you might experience the fullness and the newness of God this Easter. Today, we just want to pray a simple prayer of invitation to invite God to come in inside you today to bring the resurrection power of God's newness into your life, into your situation, into your home. To ask God, help me to perceive where exactly you are doing a new thing and help me not when I do not understand it, when your ways are beyond my, my ways, to hide from it, to doubt it, to reject it, but rather to have faith. To know you are faithful to your promise, that you have risen from the dead. So today, we celebrate the promise of resurrection here and now. We have been raised to life with Christ. So let us now just pray. Lord, we, this Easter Sunday that doesn't necessarily feel like an Easter Sunday, Lord, but we know today in faith, Lord, that your resurrection power is all around us. We know today, God, that you're doing a new thing in, in us, through us, and among us. 
And so for that reason alone today, this is Easter Sunday. Oh God, and we celebrate that today. And Lord, as we just pray, Lord, I just ask for those who are inviting Jesus for the very first time to come and be their everything. Oh God, that you would reveal your love to them right now. Show them, Lord, that you have washed away their sins, that you have cast their sins as far as from the east is from the west. That you have brought about the newness of God that happened that Easter Sunday, that when we invite you to come and be our everything, that you bring for us here and now the fullness of the resurrection right here and right now. They don't have to wait for a day far down the road where they'll be raised to life. They have been raised to life right here and right now. That is what we have been promised in Christ Jesus. That is the inheritance that we have received when we invite Jesus to come and live in us. And so, Lord, we pray for us today who have been Christians for, for a long time, Lord. I just pray for endurance for the church, for faith, to perceive the new thing that you are doing, oh God. You're doing a new thing. Lord, let the church be a witness like angels at the tomb to Mary. May the church be that to the world that say, what are you worried about? Why are you so anxious and so troubled? He's not here. He's risen. We can come see it for yourself. Come with me. Perceive the new thing that God is doing. Oh God, I pray today, if there is anything that we are hiding from today, if there's anything we are doubting, if there's anything we are rejecting today, oh God, I pray, Lord, that you would just come and show us. Give us a taste, Lord. Help us to, to believe and have faith, Lord, that what you're doing is not what we think is necessarily new or what we think that you should be doing. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And we stand in that place and we are just instructed to have faith. As we stand in Saturday, God, whatever the situation is, Lord, we also know that we stand in faith in Sunday, God. You will, you will come. You will triumph. You have overcome. Lord, we believe today that if our story is not yet good, God, you are not yet done. You're not finished with us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you who were once dead are now alive, and we who are dead are now alive in you today. Pray this in your name. Amen.